Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar Show. Big welcome from me, Richard Lander, and uh, the team that uh, is here on every uh, on every edition. Nisha Long, Frank Talbot and Angus Foote. So, approaching the last lap of uh, an eventful year, we decided to ask Nisha and Frank to come up with subjects of their own for the last two editions. Uh, Nisha will be having her topic in a couple of weeks, uh, but Frank is uh, taking the hot seat today and is talking about, really, I suppose, in what in many ways is one of the central issues of this year, was China uh, and the inevitable investment fallout from that as the Communist Party uh, clamped down on tech stocks and uh, in particular, but also other investment aspects in general. And one of the second order consequences of that is a lot of investors uh and we're talking both business investors in you know uh, buying plants and ordering goods from there but also our core audience of fund selectors have been shifting from china uh or making moves because they just you know some people would say it's uninvestable now most people would say it's a lot more difficult. And one of the areas they've been looking at is that other giant in the uh, emerging market hemisphere, and that is India. Uh, so Frank's been looking at the flows and the reasons why people might be thinking of doing this. So, so Frank, uh, I, I guess it comes straight down straightforwardly to the opportunities are looking better in India uh, with a very pro-market, pro-reform government than China, which is run by an all omnipotent communist party. Yeah, I'm not sure I totally agree with that statement. I mean, obviously, the statement that it's an omnipotent communist party, absolutely bang on. And the reforms that have gone on in India, yeah, that's definitely been the case. But, you know, I do want to talk about, you know, China and India, or the catchily concatenated Chindia. It's never sat well with me that either. It almost sounds like something you'd hear in Waitrose. Chindia, darling, Chindia. Um, probably for me, which is quite embarrassing. Anyway, I digress. Uh, apologies as ever. Um, I'm sure most listeners will be well acquainted with the fact that China had a barnstorming breakout year in 2020, only to be brought to heel, not by the pandemic, as you say, but by the Chinese state. You've got the disappearance and reappearance of Jack Ma, increased regulation on tech stocks, as you mentioned, that were for much of the past decade, the growth darlings, uh, restriction of gaming and use, and then the Evergrande issue, as you say, leading to cries of China being uninvestable, which actually isn't a word that my spell check recognises. Um, sure enough, you know, you've seen massive pullback in Chinese equities. They're down about 30%. One rather important thing to note is it hasn't been the domestic A share market that has witnessed the sell off, but it's been the internationally listed stocks in Hong Kong and the US that you most associate with China that have been hit hard by this. So, uh, you know, the very, very places that are most likely to see increased oversight from Beijing, the companies that are getting too big for their breaches, breaches rather. Um, this all runs, you know, side by side with the the news that investment in China has actually increased by more than ten percent in twenty twenty one. That's both stocks and the the bond side of things, which has been offering very alluring yields. That's during the time that these troubles have been brewing and and these marquee stocks have been sliding. Interestingly, on the flows front, investors have been pretty savvy here. 
it hasn't been a blanket pullback from China, like probably would have been in previous sell-offs. Initially, they did pull money out of the funds which invest in the MSCI China. That's the index that weights heavily to those internationally listed stocks. It's still up 5 billion net estimated net inflows this year, that, that sector. But actually, throughout the troubles, you know, they've continued to invest new money in the A-share market, that domestic market, to the tune of 8 billion this year in A-shares. Overall, assets in A-shares funds have nearly doubled from 22 billion to 39 billion euros in 12 months. Sorry, those, those figures were in euros. You know, that's not far behind the total AUM of the much more liquid MSCI China funds, which are 58 billion. You know, like I said, I'm pretty impressed with these buying habits. You know, after the initial wave of panic, investors are back in. The reason I'm impressed is because China has performed very poorly over the past decade. It's only just slightly ahead of UK equities, which everyone can agree has been a terrible place to have your money, unfortunately, for, for all the people on this call. Yeah, very comparable economies. One, <laughs> one suffering from Brexit and, you know, political, you know, mayhem uh, and uh, the world's biggest emerging Yeah, absolutely. Economy. I mean, the thing... <laughs> Sounds strange, though, but that's an index. That's an index thing, isn't it, Frank? It's not a... You know, you as a as an active fund manager, the people who've done really well over the yeah, last oh time. yeah, definitely that is an index thing. As I said, those darlings have been incredible for portfolios. Uh, it, it still represents great value, though. I think this is the the point I'm trying to get across. You know, I'm not saying investment in China is zero risk. Of course, it isn't. You know, it's a country which operates in a very different way to other major markets. You only need to look at the chilling disappearance of the Chinese tennis player, the arms race with the US. That only highlights that it's not a country that, that carries zero risk. And, and certainly, it, it, it presents, presents a problem for many allocators. But someone was telling me that Xi Jinping needs global trade and investment in order to fulfill the long-term plan of being the global superpower. You know, he's not going to start taking away your assets like the Russians did or clamping down on every industry. You know, this this then brings me on to India, which by all accounts has been the major beneficiary from this, partly just by not being China, as you pointed out, which is a terrible reason to invest anywhere. But the stock market's going nuts. You know, it's up 126% since the market bottomed at the start of the pandemic. That's five times the MSCI China over the same time frame. And within the top 100 companies, there are some 20 baggers in there over that time frame. There's a clutch of companies driving this index, mainly in mining, that have risen 600% or more. Um, but you've also got companies like Tata Motors, which own Jaguar Land Rover. What are they mining, Frank? Uh, most things. <laughs> what are they mining? Filthy stuff. Uh, uh, no, I don't think... I, I don't think I, Coal, they I don't, do a lot. Well, we know from COP26... There's a coal thing there. Uh, I, I don't think it's the, it's the coal miners that have been doing particularly well. Um, it's more like steel. Um, but um, you've also got companies like Tata Motors, as I said, own Jaguar Land Rover. It's up 600% over that time frame. But it's still shy of its five-year peak. You know, that's it's trading off you know better access to semiconductors than other car makers in the region. The fact that the car industry within India is where the US was at the start of the 20th century in terms of penetration... The point I'm making is that both markets uh, are value plays uh, with incredibly sophisticated companies within them. You only need to look at PIMCO's research affiliates, emerging markets portfolio. They pretty much, they're all about the value research affiliates, if you haven't heard of them. And it's got a lot of these fast rising companies within their portfolio. If it's enough value for them, 
then perhaps it's enough for you. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they've taken profits. Uh, US funds are, are notoriously shy about disclosing the kind of information quickly when it comes to holdings. So we don't yet know if they sold in the third quarter after the rapid rise. So, Angus, let's bring you in here. They, uh, Your fund selector friends, are they talking about switching? Are they running scared of China? Do they think India is well, the I new China? I think it's very important to remember that the fund selector's job is to choose the best funds and strategies within a given asset allocation framework. The fund selectors typically are not saying, because it's not their job, oh, I'm getting out of China, I'm getting into India. That information comes down to them, or that, that, that direction comes down to them from the investment committees, the CIOs, the people that we call the super allocators. We, we talk to those people, right. uh, the private bank CIOs, essentially, those types of people, heads of investment in those big institutions. They, uh, we talk to those people on a quarterly basis. And it's interesting that going back, I think, Nisha, you might be able to remind me on this. I think it's at least two years and maybe more that those private bank CIOs were talking about China as a separate allocation to the rest of emerging markets and how that was um, played going forward. So obviously for a fund selector, if you're told find the best China fund, you find the best China fund. You know, within given parameters, uh, if you're told find the best emerging market fund, uh, you find the best emerging market fund. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and then equally, obviously, if you're trying to find something that is EMs X China, uh, I'm not sure how big your universe would be. Uh, and that's obviously going to be a factor in that in that process. So a couple of things that occurred to me, though, while Frank was talking. We're firstly talking about when you talk about India and you talk about reform. Now, obviously, China and India are very different systems. Uh, uh, but it doesn't seem to me so long ago that I was hearing about China's economic reform as the kind of overriding theme. And interesting to see in the last couple of weeks that, you know, Modi's had to water down, if not reverse, some of his farming reforms in the face of uh, enormous, I don't know, let's call it popular Backlash, pressure, yeah. I don't know, but I mean, it was, you know, sort of sheer weight of numbers, really, from the farmers, as opposed to any necess necessarily any logic to their, to their argument. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that would be my thoughts on it. And uh, the, the fund selectors obviously will have a view, but it will be a personal view uh, that they won't necessarily be deciding whether or not sorry i should have framed that as your super allocators my fault well no it's an interesting yeah. point because obviously that works differently in different organizations depending depending largely on the scale of the yeah, organization yeah. but uh, the, the super allocators obviously are key players in that and uh, nisha i don't know if you oh, you were you were in that conversation i think was it it must have been more than two years ago actually it must have been three mm, years ago. i think yeah i think that was um, 2019 um when we had uh, last roundtable discussion with the CIOs. And they were saying that, you know, we need to see China as a separate entity to the emerging markets. So we can't just lump China within the emerging markets because of the GDP forecast, the way um, investments were going at the time that, you know, could it really be seen as an emerging market, the way, you know, the growth, but also having the middle class as well and the spending power that the consumers have out there. So, you know, there was a bit of a disconnect there. But then you come back to this year and then you see that, yes, it should be an emerging market, you know, with the risks and the volatility there. So perhaps, you know, seeing it as a separate entity, um, the other emerging markets still have a long way to go to reach the levels of China. And as you mentioned, India. So you're thinking about India, maybe they're lagging two years 
uh, with China. But they are, um, according to world, uh, the World Bank's forecasts, you know, they reckon that India will have the status of the world's first fastest growing major economy, you know, within this year or next year. So, you know, you have that as well in the mix. Something else in the mix that I think is, is quite important. Uh, one of our columnists, Simon Evan Cook, wrote an excellent article last week, I think, where he talks about the elimination diet. I recommend everybody who's interested in investing great piece. of any kind should read I'll that I'll put article. a link in great piece. below if you're reading. This yeah, well, well, yeah, I think it's very relevant because one of the things that he eliminated, just briefly, his, his, um, his case is that if you want to find out what's hurting you, whether it's in your health or in your investment portfolio, you know, the idea of the elimination diet is you eliminate everything and then start adding things back in uh, and, and see which of the missing bits uh, were dragging you down. And one of the things that he says he cut out very early on in his career or at a key stage in his career, market timing. Yeah. Market timing is something that he learned he could never do. Very few people could do it. And uh, actually, it was one of the biggest drags on performance. So I, I guess, you know, if you're a private bank CIO, then uh, it's your job to get those calls right. But for the rest of us, trying to decide whether to switch in or out of India, China, emerging markets is um, that to me is the riskiest part of the, the process. I think I just want to put, um, point out here as well that it is now cheaper. Labor is cheaper in India compared to China. And a lot of companies have moved into China you know, to diversify their supply chains so that their movement is happening physically of where their you know, headquarters are, you know, where they're basing their laborers, etc. That is moving. Um, so you do see this shift that we were seeing with China and everyone outsourcing to China. You're seeing that with India now. And I think, there, for example, Dixon Technologies, um, Samsung even, you know, they're all out there in India. So I think, you know, having that in perspective as well. But then my case of not investing in India is also the pandemic. It really, really highlighted how inadequate that infrastructure is. You know, they had oxygen shortages, their hospitals yeah, were rammed, you know, it was awful. You know, we don't see that much in the news now, but they're still, they still have that. They've still got the shortages. And also they are short on coal as well, even though they've got the mining there, etc. So, you know, all the, they are dependent on coal. And that's why you saw that in COP, you know, um, 26, you know, the rewording, etc., because they are so heavily dependent. But then you have supply electricity electricity supply issues in the country. I've been there many times, and the amount of times you know the electricity just went off. We had to go and get the candles, you know. And these were in built-up areas, you know, really, you know, in the centre of Delhi, for example. You still had those shortages, so it just shows you that how reliant still they are to something like coal, you know, for just having their business going forward. So yeah. I can sympathise. Uh, I can sympathise with that niche. Uh, sorry for being facetious, but I live in the east of England. My power goes off quite frequently too. The the new the new <laughs> Delhi of East Anglia is your uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, TLDR as as the young people say, it's an emerging market and they're risky. But having said all that, Frank, you know, what would be who stands out for you as as, as fund managers and strategies that are playing India as well as they can, given all these risks. Oh yeah, I think this is a, it's an interesting topic. Really, I kind of coming back to what Angus's point about they've obviously you don't want to market time these 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 markets at all, but they do both represent you know good value. And, and one of the funds which is knee deep in in India, oh, Frank. Is, sorry, I wasn't suggesting people shouldn't invest. I think it's just the idea of switching that is 
you know, t- no, trying no, no. to time th- your, th- your move in and out is the risky part. These are, yeah, the, I think I think there's a these are long term buy and holds, uh, and I would totally concur. That's I was sort of I was I was supporting your argument actually there, I guess. But one of the, one of the funds which is which is knee deep in it is uh, is First States uh, Asia Pacific leaders. Now India is about twelve percent, I think, of the Asia Pac index, and First State has more than forty five percent in India. They've been India bulls for a long time, and they've seen their allocation double in twelve months because the stock market has appreciated so fast. Now, they back it because they think it's a quality growth market. There's good accountability relative to the rest of the region, uh, certainly from the government standpoint. And uh, it's, it's, it's tough to see them changing their tune, but it will be very interesting to see if they reduce their position because you're approaching half of the fund in one country. Yeah. That's that's a risk in, in any Rebalance. in any area. They've obviously done very well well out of this, uh, but but they didn't do very well for a long time by being India bulls. So uh, it's 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 definitely uh, it's definitely come full circle. Uh, people aren't allocating to India funds directly. That's that's one of the things that's quite clear. It's a small sector in terms of AUM, and actually people have been taking money out in the last twelve months, and even in the last quarter, last month, whatever it might be. Um, so they, they're very much going in through broad emerging markets funds or uh, Asia Pac funds. That seems to be the, the, the preferred route in, and that's in part because they haven't carved China out as a, as a standalone sleeve of their portfolio. And one of the cases to say, this is the cynics case, why Chinese investment hasn't actually fallen too much is because these investors have carved China out as its own independent sleeve of the portfolio. And they only did that quite recently. They're not going to suddenly turn around and say, actually, we don't need China after all, and then just ditch the assets at the first sign of trouble. So it is supportive for, for asset prices. It is supportive for, for investment. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that, that would be my play to go into India if you're looking for it, find a, a broad emerging market fund. Uh, I'm not even saying whether now is, is, is the right time to invest. I think it's just another area of the global stock market that's going bonanza because People have very few options and, and trading, day trading is a thing. Also, I just want to, um, there's a recent launch as well, and I think I mentioned this in our international editors meeting. Um, Amundi have actually launched um, recently an ETF, which is Emerging Markets X China. So you can see that some you know, of these asset management groups have kind of caught on as well, that getting, you know, having China out of the picture and just having those other emerging emerging markets invested in there. I mean, there's only another two ETFs that, um, well, invest X china So I just think with a big group like Amundi going through that, and it's an ESG-focused one as well. So that just gives um, some options out there. Well, I think also Nisha's touched on something that's going to be a, a real major influence in this, this discussion going forward is the ESG angle, where you know, if, if ESG becomes as embedded in everyone's processes as we're hearing, then uh, how you invest in China becomes challenging. Before we go, Frank, you, uh, any other funds or? Can I just mention one manager? Actually, you've spoken to him recently, Frank, uh, Mark Mobius um, of the Mobius Investment Trust. And um, so he has actually doubled his India exposure since the start of this year and reduced his China weighting. So that's another, and he is one of the biggest EM investors out there. And the one moment. of the first, the guru so, of EM investing. Yeah, the guru. Yeah, and he is piling into India. Thanks, thanks for the plug there, Nisha. Yeah, please check out the Mistakes Were Made podcast with Mark Mobius. Uh, very interesting to speak to a vet like him. Excellent. 
good time to wrap up. Uh, Nisha, Frank, Angus, thank you very much. And from me, Richard Lander, thank you for joining us. And uh, as I say, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, Nisha's end of year topic. Thank you.